Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Older adults are at increased risk for many vaccine-preventable diseases. Public health experts advise the best way to prevent these conditions is to get the appropriate vaccines. Today, my guest is Dr. Stuart Hanakowitz an internist and allergist immunologist. He is an assistant professor of medical education at the University of Virginia Medical School in Charlottesville, Virginia, and vice chair of the steering committee for Immunize Virginia. Dr. Hanakowitz will provide an update on COVID-19 vaccines, including the need for another booster, likelihood of more variants, and the outlook for living with COVID-19 and other viruses. He'll also explain why older adults need other vaccines to avoid health complications and stay healthy as they age. So welcome, Dr. Hanakowitz, and thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here, Cheryl. Thank you for inviting me. Let's begin by talking more about the importance of vaccinations. Why is it important to vaccinate? And then explain to us how do vaccines work? Well, vaccines are the most helpful discoveries that we've made in the in the past 200 years. Uh, the If you look at the history of uh, infectious diseases in the past uh, many centuries, they were responsible for uh, many millions of deaths. So the example I like to use is smallpox, which killed about a billion with a, a, with a B um, people uh, in a hundred year period. And uh, the smallpox vaccine um, has eradicated uh, smallpox. So um, it, uh, there, there are not many things that we do in medicine that are, that are quite that that effective. Vaccines work by uh, showing the body uh, proteins that are in either viruses or bacteria, and um, the body then makes uh, antibodies or stimulates uh, other parts of the immune system that uh, work as protective mechanisms uh, against those viruses and bacteria. And uh, it's a concept that's been uh, uh, developed since Jenner with cowpox in in the in the late 1700s, and uh, and up through today with our sophisticated uh, messenger RNA vaccines. Of course, this is a program called Aging Matters. So, why are vaccines especially important for older adults? Well, certainly with COVID-19, it's extremely important because uh, COVID-19 is, in in a lot of ways, is a disease of the elderly, of of older people. And I'm saying this as a 65-year-old card-carrying Medicare patient. So um, 75% of all deaths in the United States from COVID-19 have been in uh, people 65 and older. So um, vaccination is is very uh, important in this population. Certainly, the the benefit is greater in an older person in terms of preventing um, hospitalizations, in terms of uh, preventing mortality than it would be in in younger in younger populations. Of course, when we look at vaccines in general, we remember that these are infectious diseases. So while the disease itself may be milder in a younger person, they can transmit the infection 
to more vulnerable populations. So that's why it's important to immunize everyone. But certainly um, vaccines are important um, in the older populations. And might I say, the, the, one of the amazing things about the mRNA vaccines for COVID is how effective they are in, uh, in uh, immunizing um, older populations. That's not been the case with other vaccines. So um, the, uh, the immune system seems to um, recognize the, the, um, the mRNA and uh, develop a robust immune response in older patients where they do not, for example, with lots of uh, influenza vaccines. So talk about safety. That is really what we've been hearing so much in the news in terms of why people choose not to get a vaccination. So help us understand about the safety of vaccines and also the side effects. Sure. So like all vaccines, the COVID-19 vaccines, both the mRNA vaccines and uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is not an mRNA vaccine, can be associated with local reactions. So, um, and uh, most of you who've been vaccinated who are listening to this will know this. So you get a uh, uh, soreness of at the site of the injection, um, some swelling at the site of the injection, and then some systemic responses such as fever and muscle aches, which occur for about one to two days. Uh, the safety is tremendous. I had a, a actually a patient today who um, was referred to me because she was had not received the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. She was uh, worried about getting it because of reactions that she's had to uh, antibiotics and to uh, the influenza vaccine. Um, these vaccines are remarkably safe. The rate of serious allergic reactions or anaphylactic reactions are five in one million. And most of those five in one million have been from this um, preservative called polyethylene glycol, uh, which is seen in Miralax, which is uh, used for constipation. Now, this particular patient had used Miralax in the past without problems, so I told her, go right ahead and get that vaccine. So um, these vaccines are remarkably safe, and um, there have been some issues with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in terms of uh, bleeding complications, which are quite rare. Um, So far, this has been a good, uh, you know, uh, the safety profile has been demonstrated now with the 3 billion people who've received the vaccine around the world. Well, and that is a good segue into my next question. Are more individuals now in the U.S. actually receiving one or both vaccinations for COVID-19? And as part of that question, I was wondering how many are over age 55 or 60, however you want to classify older adults. What are you seeing? So the data is shows that the older you are, the more likely you are to get the vaccine. So for patients who are 65 and over, certainly in in this area, in in Virginia, for example, 91% of people over the age of 65 have gotten the two doses um, of the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer or Moderna, or the the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And about 86% have gotten the booster. So as you look at, at ages, you have a minority of young people in their 20s getting the vaccine and the great majority um, uh, over 65 getting the vaccine. And it climbs up as you get older. Uh, So that's a good sign. There are areas where the vaccination rates are lower uh, than the the 91% that we have in Virginia. And there seems to be a little bit of a drop off in ages 75 and older where uh, you have about 86% who have gotten the vaccine. Um, so uh, it's really important to get to 100% though in the older age groups because um, the mortality risk is so much higher in the older patient populations. So, 
And I heard you say about the booster, and that is kind of where we are now, at least with respect to some older adults. Uh, It's kind of two questions here. If they haven't received a booster, why should they? And also, do you think that down the way there might be a need for yet another booster? What, What are we looking at here? Right. Well, the boosters have been helpful certainly as you look at um, antibody responses. So the immune response seems to be bolstered by getting a booster. As far as the data is concerned, patients who have who are fully immunized and have received boosters are 97 times less likely to die from, from COVID. So if you look at all patients who've been fully immunized have had the two doses and not been boosted, that's 20 times. So uh, you do get an additional benefit from from getting the booster. Um, And it probably wanes, the antibody response probably wanes after five, six months or so. Remember, this is a novel virus. We're getting at this, you know, we're looking at the data in real time. And so it's unclear what that exactly means, whether if the antibody response wanes after that period of time. There are other parts of the immune system that are activated that we don't measure in the same way. There's a, those are called um, cellular uh, mediated responses or T cell responses. So it's unclear. And uh, the Israelis have looked at giving a fourth dose to patients who are 60 years old and, and up, and the data is is unclear. That plus the fact that we have to deal with different variants and so on, it 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 is unclear where to go as far as um, further boosters are concerned. But it is clear the data is very clear that people do better when they're boosted. And to that point, then, do older adults need to be worried about the Omicron virus? Or what do you tell your patients? We've got that Omicron virus, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. And if you're fully vaccinated and you've had a booster, what should the behavior of older adults be at this time? Right. So um, first of all, I think you need to look at the 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 prevalence of virus in your community if the prevalence is very low then the risk gets of of getting infection is lower so i tend to uh, look at cases per 100,000, and i think the cdc does as well we're now doing pretty well with northern virginia fairfax county for example is 22 cases per 100,000 that's as compared to hundreds per 100,000 just a month ago so it's gone down pretty well and then the rest of it has to do with each individual's uh feeling about risk so you make assessments of risk all the time when you drive, when you travel, when you see people. So it's risk versus benefit, which is what guides medicine in, in all clinical decisions. What is the risk to you of getting COVID and getting a serious infection versus seeing your grandchildren? Well, to me, the benefit almost always outweighs the risk, you know, I want to see my grandchildren and the risk is actually quite low. So I think once we get to a low community uh, rate, then yes, I think we can get to lead as normal a life as we can tolerate, you know, uh, we accept the risk because it's quite low and the benefit is, is, uh, is great. Well, and another way of of evaluating what's been happening with COVID is the number of hospitalizations, and that seems to be decreasing now. Although in some areas, you know, the metro section of the post, you still see the number of deaths. Explain a little bit about what the relationship is there. I'm, I'm assuming that because hospitalizations are decreasing, the vaccines are working, but are there still people who are being hospitalized and maybe even dying as a result of of COVID? 
So you have to look at different parts of the country. We're a large continental country with many different counties that have different vaccination rates. So if you're looking at Northern Virginia versus Mississippi, uh, it's going to be very different. And the pattern is usually as you look at the epidemiologic data, you'll have cases jump, hospitaliz hospitalizations jump a little bit after that, and then a number of weeks later, the death count will unfortunately rise. So that's usually the pattern. So the last thing to, uh, to decrease is the death rate. But the death rate here is much lower than it is in other parts of the country. So I believe the Washington Post is looking at, well, they have, they have data that looks at death rates in the country as well as by region, as, as I recall. Um, but we generally have a lower death rate than um, other parts of the country that have fewer vaccination rates. Higher the vaccination rates, the less likely you are to die, the lower the death rates. And it's quite dramatic. I mean, the New York Times has a nice graphic that looks at um, vac uh, uh, death rates uh, uh, per comparing and separating out vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And the unvaccinated are, as I mentioned before, are, without even without the booster, are 20 times more likely to die. 20 times more likely to die. So uh, that's a, we're we've all become epidemiologists in the last two years. We all look we're all looking at data all the time, and so uh, um, the science is something that we're all learning something about now out of necessity. And from everything I hear and read and even what you are reinforcing, uh, the message is still get vaccinated. Oh, absolutely. That just seems to be the, the message that people should be listening to. But I did want to bring up one other factor that seems to show itself sometimes, and that is the breakthrough infections. Right. And, and what does that mean? And, and especially for older adults, and because they're older adults, even if they've been fully vaccinated and received a booster dose, will they get more sick or less sick? What do we need to know? Right. So uh, one thing to remember uh, about, about vaccines is that and we can, we'll discuss this a little bit further on, I believe, when we talk about other vaccines. The main thing is to protect against serious infections and uh, hospitalizations and deaths. The Omicron variant was able to infect a lot of people who were vaccinated. Uh, still, not as many people who were vaccinated did get infections as compared to the unvaccinated. So if you go back to that Again, the, the New York Times graph, it shows how uh, the number of infections was, was 15 times less in uh, vaccinated people versus unvaccinated. Then the Omicron variant came and it jumped up to two, uh, uh, from 15 times less likely to two times less likely. So there are a lot of people who developed Omicron infections, but a lot of those infections were mild. And that's okay. The vaccines are still working. And um, the main thing about vaccines, for any number of reasons, for obvious reasons to a particular person's health, but also from a public health standpoint, is to prevent hospitalizations and deaths, to not overwhelm the healthcare system. Um, to be able to live with COVID, you, you're ill for you know, a, a number of days and then you get back to where you are. You don't develop serious infections, which are also associated with so-called long long COVID. So th these are these are very important things. So yes, there have been breakthrough so-called breakthrough infections, but that's okay if you're not very ill, going to the hospital, in risk at risk of dying, and and hopefully, although the data is not completely clear on this, hopefully not developing long COVID symptoms. 
I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, kind of looking for the future, we've already had three variants. It's possible that there might be more. What's the the long-term approach? Is there going to be a vaccine for every uh, virus that comes along? There had been some discussion about Omicron. There may be others. Is, is that going to be the approach or... Um, I was just reading in the Washington Post of the efforts to create a universal vaccine. What do you as an immunologist uh, uh, and your colleagues see as the best solution or are there more than one solution? So you have to remember, first of all, that this is, again, a novel virus and a novel pandemic. And the virus will let us know what it wants to do. (laughs) <laughs> that's been the, that that was the case in 1918 that was the case right now there's uh, an interesting um, article that looked at a siberian epidemic outbreak or this is a virus from siberia in the 1890s to 1900s early 1900s and they thought there's some suggestion that it was a coronavirus and uh had three waves and then kind of petered out. So viruses have a life of their own. Who knows whether there'll be other variants? I mean, the the past doesn't necessarily predict the future here. Um, We do, we are concerned that if the world is not immunized, that more variants will come, such as the Omicron did and started in South Africa. that's possible. And the universal vaccine is, yes, it's, it's been uh, something that's been dreamed of for a long time, uh, for at least uh, since, uh, you know, for the last 70 years or so, the dream has been to do a universal influenza vaccine rather than getting doses every year. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure people are work are working on it it would be uh, it would be great but we haven't been able to to do it yet but um, universal vaccine would be great but viruses have a way of skirting vaccines and skirting environments and you really don't know what's going to come next I, d- I don't think people can can predict I think you just have to be uh, watchful and uh, do good uh, immune surveillance, which is what uh, people do. Is it inevitable that most adults will eventually get COVID-19? There certainly seem to be more folks that got Omicron recently than ever before. So uh, is this something we should all expect or what would you tell us? I think all of us are going to be exposed to COVID-19, either through vaccine or through infection or through exposure. Remember that many people have had asymptomatic infection. And so I think that's probably the case that over many years uh, we'll be exposed to this particular coronavirus. There are four different coronaviruses uh, that cause the common cold. And I'm sure we've been exposed to them over over the years, over the decades. So um, being exposed to viral illness is part of life. Um, the, the trick is not having serious pandemics where you have severe illness, hospitalizations, and deaths. And um, this is our first pandemic of this magnitude in 100 years. So... Um, 1918 was worse, but already the number of deaths in the United States have exceeded the 1918 numbers, uh, 1918, 1990, 1920 numbers. So, uh, but yeah, I think we are exposed to viruses all the time. So yes, but will we all get sick from COVID-19? I don't think so, no. But we'll get exposed for sure, one way or the other. Well, that's good news and a good way to pause here for a short break. But in case you tuned in late, we're talking today with Dr. Stuart Hanakowitz. 
He's an internist, an allergist, an immunologist. He's also the assistant professor of medical education at the University of Virginia Medical School in Charlottesville, as well as the vice chair of the steering committee for Immunize Virginia. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. Stuart Hanakowitz, who is an internist and allergist immunologist. And the first half, we covered everything that we need to know today, at least, about COVID-19. And we want to spend the second half talking about other vaccines. So Dr. Hanakowitz, I'd like to get your opinion about besides the COVID-19 vaccine, which you strongly recommended older adults get, why is it important for older adults to receive other vaccinations? Sure. Well, uh, there are a number of other vaccinations that, that are important in, in, in older populations, such as, of course, the influenza vaccine, um, which is given yearly. Other vaccines, um, which we can discuss, are, are also important, such as the tetanus, diphtheria, and adult pertussis um, or the so-called Tdap vaccines and the new shingles vaccine or the Shing- Shingrix vaccine. Another set of vaccines that are helpful and important are those that protects, protect against pneumococcus. And uh, people will know that as pneumofax, for example. So those sorts of vaccines are important and I recommend them to my older patients when, when I see them. Uh, for their uh, physical exams. And I'm wondering if, of course, since a certain percentage of the population live in assisted living or they might be in uh, high-rise and more populated care settings, are these uh, residents in these um, locations especially in need of getting those those vaccinations besides COVID, but the ones that we're going to talk about? Certainly for uh, influenza and pneumococcus, I think those those are important. Uh, the uh, the Tdap is also helpful, although the major rationale for using the Tdap vaccine is for uh, older folks to uh, protect their grandchildren from getting uh, pertussis uh, in as infants. Um, the uh, infants get the vaccine against pertussis uh, at ages two, four, and six months. And until they're six months old, they're not really protected against pertussis. There's been an increase in the number of cases of adult pertussis in the United States. And so therefore there's been this push to immunize against, against pertussis. But as far as people in, uh, as, as we say, conjugate settings of which uh, assisted living facilities or uh, skilled nursing facilities uh, are, uh, it's important to immunize against influenza and against the pneumococcus. And again, not only for um, the residents to get immunized, but for their family members. In fact, studies show that immunizing uh, grandchildren against uh, influenza or, uh, is is probably just as, if not more effective in preventing influenza in, in older patient in patient populations, especially in in the in the um, ner- uh, skilled nursing facilities. So um, really important to get out uh, immunization in, in all groups. Uh, Shingrix is a separate issue. Um, it protects uh, the person against uh, the recurrence of the chickenpox virus as it comes in, in a disease called shingles. And um, the immunization that you get with Shingrix protects you from getting this recurrence of the chickenpox virus, but it is not an infectious disease. So you don't get 
uh, shingles from a person. It's, it's the virus that's dormant within you. So it's a little different in concept than the, uh, the Tdap or the pneumococcus or the influenza vaccines. Well, I'm going to get into each of these types of, of vaccinations in just a second, and I'll ask you a few more questions about that. So I'm glad that people are beginning to hear you talk about the, the different types of uh, vaccinations that are needed. But before doing so, I kind of wanted to ask a couple of general questions. First of all is the cost. Uh, are the cost of most of these vaccines that we're going to be talking about not COVID, of course, but these others, uh, are they covered by Medicare or other insurance plans? So the influenza vaccine is absolutely covered by the Medicare program, as well as the pneumococcal vaccine. Uh, The Tdap and the Shingrix are not covered by Medicare Part A or Part B. They may be covered in Part D programs that, that people may have. Uh, that's the, the drug uh, part of the, the Medicare benefit. Uh, the Shingrix vaccine is especially expensive and can run over $200 an injection. Uh, but uh, if you have a drug plan under Medicare Part D, it may cover it. Or if you have a supplemental uh, benefit, in other words, part of your Part B benefit, um, that can also cover the the cost of the vaccine. But you do need to look uh, because some of the vaccines, especially Shingrix, are are quite costly. And so you would need to either ask your physician or your pharmacist as to whether or not the cost would be covered. Is is that correct? I think you probably, it'd probably be more helpful to talk to your insurance company. Okay. As, as, as much as I'd like to think that that I know about coverage issues, I, you know, I I joined the I joined the Medicare program at age 65 this year, and as a physician and as someone who is involved in in uh, policy questions with regards to Medicare, it took me months to learn about the Medicare program and how it works. So, I would I I would ask um, the the Medicare folks what's covered, or if you have a, a supplemental to ask them. I think they, they're the ones who are going to know. Well, and in fact, we have done programs about Medicare and done at least 25 questions about the Medicare program. So I do understand what you're talking about uh, with respect to Medicare. It can be very complicated, especially when you're first uh, starting it. So I wanted to ask also, are there certain adult populations, maybe with uh, some kind of uh, health condition that you suggest they don't receive the vaccines or should everyone get them? And of course, we're talking about an older adult population that can be anywhere from 50 to 100. So what is your policy when you are, you know, with your patients? So, the nice thing about most of the vaccines now are they are not so-called live vaccines. So um, a lot of the older vaccines were so were live attenuated vaccines. That means they were there was live virus, not not as potent as normal virus, but a live virus nevertheless. And patients who are immunosuppressed or transplant patients or cancer patients would be restricted from getting those. Um, live attenuated vaccines. One example of a live attenuated vaccine was uh, the Zostavax vaccine, which is the older version of the shingles vaccine. So people who are immunosuppressed wouldn't wouldn't get those live vaccines. The nice part now is that the Shingrix is not a live vaccine. The pneumococcus, the COVID, they're not live vaccines. So there's no concern there. The concern is that the immunosuppressed may not mount as effective a response and may still be uh, susceptible to disease. But it's not, so it's, for example, with COVID-19, it's not that the vaccine is dangerous for someone who's immunosuppressed. It just may not be as effective and they may be susceptible to to getting uh, infection anyway, despite the vaccine. 
And are there health conditions? I mean, again, since we're talking about older adult population here, are there certain uh, physical, clinical health conditions that that might, again, contraindicate the possibility of getting a particular vaccine? So we're looking at immunosuppressed patients, such as uh, cancer patients or in chemotherapy, or transplant patients, such as kidney transplant patients, patients on daily steroid therapy, uh, patients who have inflammatory bowel disease or psoriasis or rheumatoid arthritis who may get uh, biologic therapy that may be immunosuppressive. Those patient populations, they should, they should speak with their uh, physicians about what to do with vaccines, with their vaccines. The physician would be the person that would be able to help them decide whether or not a, a vaccine would be appropriate. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, for example, so someone who's um, getting chemotherapy, uh, the oncologists are usually very uh, knowledgeable about which vaccines are safe and which are not safe. But the point is, if it's not a live vaccine, it's generally safe, no matter if you're immunosuppressed or not. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the different uh, vaccines that we all need, or especially as an older adult. And the one we hear about most every year are flu shots. And in fact, even during COVID, we were uh, advised that we should get our flu shot. So explain a little bit more about the flu and why flu shots are recommended. When should an older adult get them? Give us a little overview about flu shots and the importance. Sure. The flu shots came after our 1918 pandemic. And when the flu uh, vaccines started getting developed about 70 years ago, they noticed that uh, influenza came in a seasonal pattern and would usually happen in, uh, would usually spike in the, in the winter months um, or even in early winter months, so December, January, February. So um, every year, uh, uh, scientists look at which subtype of influenza is likely to be a problem for the following year. And there are many different subtypes. So they choose one and uh, patients can then get uh, vaccinated before before the winter season. It used to be uh, September to October, but now we've even started immunizing people in August. So uh, that's the when of, of the vaccine. And it's um, not, not quite as effective as the mRNA vaccines for COVID. So it does cut down on, uh, on death rates by a uh, and it is about 50% effective. But again, it's effective also in terms of preventing serious or deadly disease. So that's, that's where it, it is very important to, uh, to get that vaccine. So, but every year is a different formula for, you know, it's, it's a bit of an educated guess as to which subtype is gonna be prevalent in the world. Uh, and that all emerges from from 1918. We've been dealing with this since then. Also, I suppose that given that you're getting a different kind every year, might the side effects vary from year to year? Or do some folks get side effects, others not so much? So there was a, an issue of egg allergy for people who are getting the flu vaccines because um, it's the use they use um, chick embryos for uh, making the the vaccine and the amount of egg protein that people are exposed to is minuscule so we've learned that even people who have severe egg allergies can get the flu vaccine that was a big issue especially with uh, younger folks um, otherwise uh, they have been, uh, other than local reactions, they've been remarkably safe. So um, 
unfortunately, um, we have been not quite as successful in getting people to get the flu vaccines as we might have wanted. Um, people get the flu vaccine during so-called cold cold and flu season. And so if they get ill and around the time of when they get the vaccine, they uh, sometimes patients will correlate the illness that they get with the vaccine that they received, and they will be reluctant to get the vaccine in future years. Oh, I remember when I got this vaccine, I got sick two days later, you know, that sort of thing. And that's unfortunate because the time of the year when you get the vaccine sometimes will, especially if you get it after school starts, there's a lot of, a lot of infections that float around after school starts uh, in the community. Okay. You had also, you've mentioned shingles now several times and the Shingrix vaccine. I just wanted to step back. Uh, there may be folks listening to this broadcast that don't know what shingles is. So could you give a brief uh, definition, a description of what this condition is? Sure. And the chickenpox virus infected pretty much all of us in the United States. About 99% of us have been exposed to the chickenpox virus before vaccines against chickenpox were developed. And uh, the virus doesn't die. It stays within you. So it stays dormant uh, for the rest of your life in nerve cells. There are antibodies that you that develop after you've been exposed to chickenpox but those antibodies tend to wane as time goes on. So the older you get, uh, the less antibody protection you have against the dormant virus. So if you have a, a stressful situation or another infection and the dormant virus gets activated and you don't have a good antibody response, you will develop shingles, which is um, a viral infection from the original chickenpox virus that goes along uh, nerves. So a lot of people will have these rashes that go along the line of certain of certain nerves, and the nerve pain can be quite intense. Um, so uh, that's by and large what what shingles is. Uh, we're hopeful that later on, next fewer next generations of people may not get. Uh, the uh, shingles because the chickenpox virus may have prevented people from getting infected in the first place. But we'll, we'll see about that. But certainly for now, uh, people, uh, older populations should get the Shingrix vaccine starting at age 50. It's a two-dose vaccine, and it gives a stronger response than other, other vaccines do. It's in large part because you already have antibodies against chickenpox, so it, it really boosts up the response. So a lot of patients, or many patients, will say, gosh, I really had a, a really a large reaction, or it really the, that local reaction was something, or I felt sick for a day. So that's something you, that you might get with, with, uh, with uh, the shingles vaccine, the two-dose vaccine. And even if they already had shingles, they should still go ahead and get the, the two doses? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So the fact that they got shingles meant that their antibody levels were lower. They were probably boosted a little bit from getting, from getting exposed to the virus again, but it then wanes over time. So they should get the, vac the vaccine. It's kind of similar when, when you get COVID, right? I mean, so you get you get a boost in your uh, immunity from getting the infection, but then it wanes, and we recommend that you still get boosted, right, even though you've had a COVID infection. So it's a similar concept. Also, you mentioned a little bit earlier about pneumococcal disease and the pneumococcal vaccine. So tell us about right. that and the number of doses needed. Right. So the pneumococcal vaccine is very effective in preventing serious disease from from the pneumococcus which causes pneumonia and it was a very important cause of uh, respiratory death in older populations uh, so 
the pneumococcal uh, vaccine has been available, was been developed over 50 years ago. And uh, there are different types of vaccines that have been developed in pneumococcus. Uh, there are two different types of pneumococcal vaccine. Um, pay, uh, people may have received something called the Prevnar 13, which is no longer uh, used. Now there are different formulations called the Prevnar 20. Prevnar 20 has been available since last summer. And then the Pneumavax is um, the old standby. That's the vaccine that's been available for many years. Usually the Prevnar is uh, given first and then a year later uh, the Pneumavax is given. And that gives you protection against most types and there are many, many types of, of uh, pneumococcus and it protects against many different types of, of pneumococcal disease. You can still get infection but you're much less likely to die of the infection, get serious infection. So, and it's very uh, important in older populations. We try to give a dose after age 65 uh, for both the Prevnar 20 and the, the Pneumavax. If you're chronically ill, especially with respiratory disease, you should get these vaccines at younger ages. Okay. And there was one other, again, that you mentioned a little bit earlier. I just wanted to reiterate that that's the Tdap vaccine. Right, right. And again, this particular vaccine puts together tetanus and diphtheria, which is which was given before. It was so-called TD vaccine. And you'd get that as a booster. If you, if you stepped on a nail and had to go to the emergency room, you'd get you get the TD vaccine and you'd get a booster every 10 years. Well, this is the Tdap, so it includes pertussis vaccine. Uh, pertussis has been on the increase in the United States and is particular and the particularly vulnerable population are infants. So we do ask those who get who are going to be close to infants uh, to get vaccinated against Tdap. So um, new grandparents, uh, or, or other uh, relatives who are going to be uh, close to uh, infants should get immunized against Tdap. And again, it's especially in the older patient populations because the immunity wanes over time and uh, uh, getting, getting a Tdap is going to be very helpful in protecting those infants. And I believe for folks who may not know what pertussis is, that's that's whooping cough. And I remember Correct. having whooping cough when I was a kid. So uh, I just wanted to verify that. And as far as the Tdap vaccine, is that all, all of it then would be uh, one dose every 10 years? I just wanted to verify that. Correct. So the, the, the Tdap booster can be given every 10 years. The, certainly the tetanus part can be given every every 10 years. The issue has been whether we need a booster every 10 years at any rate in our environment where the tetanus vaccine is very available. So we shouldn't feel too terrible if it if we're a little late on the tetanus on the tetanus vaccine uh, if we are living here. But certainly for international travel, it's important to be up to date with tetanus boosters. Well, and in fact, you we're, we're getting close to the end of the interview here, and I just wanted to ask you about older adults keeping track of their immunization history. I, uh, I would imagine that's particularly important when you're traveling outside the U.S. or even in the U.S. Um, as we visit relatives or, or friends. Um, do you have any recommendations, the best way to, to keep track of uh, immunizations? Unlike other parts of the world who get, they'll have vaccine cards and the military, for example, will issue vaccine cards. I think the best way is to just get on your computer and just type out what vaccines you've gotten and have it and give it to, give it to uh, your clinicians. Uh, patients who do that, I, I think it's, uh, that's been very helpful. You know, when you travel to Canada or Western Europe, it really is 
uh, not that essential, but certainly if you're doing international travel in other parts of the world, it'd be helpful for you to know what you need, what's up, up to date. You can consult your uh, physician. You can control, consult a travel physician. You know, we used to travel back before the uh, <laughs> before two years ago. Um, uh, the CDC has uh, uh, you can you can look at the CDC travel uh, section and uh, just link to whatever country you're going to, and it'll give you uh, recommendations about what vaccines to get. Okay. Well, last question. You've been giving really important resources already. Any ones that you just wanted to reemphasize about learning about vaccines for older adults? Anything besides the CDC, or is that the best resource, or what do we need to know? I think the CDC is an excellent resource if you really wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of what's recommended and so on. There's the ACIP the Advisory Committee of Immunization Practices, which is also connected with the, with the CDC. But there are other websites that'll give you, uh, give you uh, decent information, the National Institutes of Health, uh, the Mayo Clinic, uh, you know, those, those are, are sources that, that would give you uh, good information. Also, of course, your Departments of Health, so Virginia Department of Health um, would, be, would be very helpful. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Stuart Hanakowitz, internist and allergist immunologist, for joining us today. And if you want to learn about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website at agingmattersonline.com. And at that site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we've produced over the last five years. And you can log on to the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Inkmouth Media. To learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs.